I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi there, Alistair Campbell here, Editor-at-Large of the New European. Write a weekly column covering politics, Europe, Scotland, Ireland, mental health, sport... Lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff. And if you'd like to enjoy more from the European, please join us. Subscribe for just £8 a month at theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash subscribe. Hello, Snowflakes, and welcome back to the New European podcast. It's a British eye on European politics and culture from the people who bring you the New European newspaper. If you'd like to enjoy more from the New European, do join us by subscribing for just £8 a month at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. My name is Steve Anglesey, and as David Bowie nearly said, it's been five years. My brain hurts a lot over five years now since the referendum, where we ignored the advice of of Bowie in modern love. I know when to stay in, he said. Get things done. So here we are. Scary monsters and super creeps are running Britain. The government is blue and there's nothing we can do. And now we are told that there's a Starmer waiting in the sky. He needs to get a move on if he's going to blow our minds. To cheer us all up in this anniversary week, I will be talking to comedian and new European columnist Mitch Benn, I'll also be joined by the author and broadcaster Gavin Esler, whose piece in the New European Print Edition this week is an extraordinary attack on the politics of delusion, which brought us to this place five years ago this week. Some of you have been summing up the last five years in verse. Here are a few of your poems about Brexit. Let's start with Ed Morton's. Uh, This is more of a limerick, really. The odious Nigel Farage spewed a non-stop and hate-filled barrage, claiming Britain would gain voting leave, not remain, but now we all see it's a mirage. Sandra Humphrey has written a poem. She says, a weird bloke with yellow hair fed them lies they were willing to hear. Five years on and fancy that, his promises were a load of crap. And Telmo Ferreira says, sunlit uplands and trade deals are plenty, a monster spawned of hate and scorn. Five years have now passed and life feels so empty. Where's my Brexit unicorn? Hi, this is Sophia de Broek. I write every week in the New European on the music scene across Europe and the UK. If you'd like to enjoy more from the New European, do join us by subscribing for just £8 per month at theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash subscribe. Now, a man who knows his way around a poem. He writes one every week in the New European. It's Mitch Ben. Welcome back, Mitch Ben. Hello, Steve. Hello, hello. 
Hello. Let me ask you about celebrations in the in the Ben household to mark the <laughs> fifth anniversary of the referendum. What did you do? Did you wave a flag? No, I'm busy, mate. I've got far much to far too much to do. I mean, it's I mean, uh, you know, also the, the whole waving a flag thing has become so cheapened just recently with this this weird flag fetishism that the uh, you know I think I did I think I did one of my poems about that was about you know the massive flag that you have to have in the background now if if you're gonna. Uh, be seen in public out on any official government business it is actually all pretty grim uh this this no not necessarily about the, f- the fifth anniversary but the, this sort of weird um fetishistic fake pro- patriotism that we're being exhorted to partake in i haven't listened to that song yet i can't face it i keep reading chunks of the lyrics and thinking i don't even want to know what that sounds like but it's just, I remember, you know, you, you read, people who are, you know, immersed in these things tend to, you know, write these, you know, 10 signs that your country is slipping into autocracy and sort of the, no, you know, the, the uh, mandatory proclamations of patriotism and sort of increasingly uh, vociferous and hollow declarations of national greatness increasing in perfect ratio with actual national decline you know i mean this this is victor Orban stuff isn't it this is erdogan stuff and it's like i mean i think a lot of people may have the wrong understanding i think the the song is not necessarily an actual government thing i think it was just some i don't know glassy-eyed citizen who actually wrote the damn thing but it is being embraced in certain governmental circles and it's just you know today there was this thing on twitter they got this other tory be encouraging to have pictures of the queen yes in, in every school in the country this is I want, like, well i wanted to ask you about stop, that yeah just stop just stop it with these 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 hollow fetishistic patriot uh, gestures of fake patriotism trying to cover up the fact that you were literally screwing the country up. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how much you proclaim yourself to, you know, it doesn't matter how great you sing about, you know, how great you sing about Britain being, doesn't matter how many flags you wave, it doesn't matter how many portraits of who you stick up in, how many public places, if the country's screwed, it's still screwed. And I'm sure that there is not, it's not coincidental that this is all happening around the fifth anniversary of the referendum, when, you know, bitter smart asses like the likes of you and me are going to be saying, so what's it all for then? What have you done? What have you achieved? Well, they have been very, they've been very quiet, haven't they? I mean, you, you, you're talking there about Joy Morrissey, who is, has launched this national campaign with the British Monarchist Society. Yeah, that, that surname's coming in for a real kicking at the moment, isn't it? I was going to say, who'd have thought, we, who'd have thought that really, Morrissey was not the worst Morrissey? We, we really need Neil to come through and do something good, don't we? We, 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 <laughs> we, we need Neil Morrissey to, 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 to reclaim that name, do something. Go, go on, Neil. Go, we, we, we all thought you might turn up again in the last season of... of, of uh, line of duty but it didn't happen so we just need neil to to you know do some actual gesture of national healing because god yeah the name morris is taking a real kicking at the moment it really is i mean we but, we, yeah. we laugh we laugh about the idea that that, that joy morrissey mp 
is launching this campaign. And she says it's to put a portrait of Her Majesty the Queen in every home, office and institution that would like one. Um, and it is laughable, but of course, well, it I then would, leads I, to I, a... Go on. I would posit that every institution that would like one probably already has one, doesn't it? Yes, I would. I mean, they're and not every home too. To come yes. By. yes, exactly. That's not what they mean. They don't want it to... So you see, what that is, is it's not saying... Well, we, 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 we just innocently and apropos of nothing want to put a picture of the Queen in every place that would like one. What that means is everywhere there is one. So, so why wouldn't you like one? Mm, you know, exactly. That, that's, that's what this is all about. And it, it really is genuinely quite disturbing. I mean, we, we are, it, it's the, I mean, all right, all right, here's the thing. I did a routine in my 2018 show up in Edinburgh about I did a thing called Fascism Family Fortunes about um, you know the, the very because think about fascism is it's a term which gets bandied around a lot by liberal bedwetters and generally speaking it's usually not entirely justified and it cheapens the word and that's a mistake that we've been making really since the 80s is bandying the word fascist about to describe anything vaguely right center that we didn't like the look of and the trouble is now you've got genuine fascism researching all over the western world and we don't have the words to describe it nobody believes us when we do because the point i was making is that there are many different interpretations of that word but all of them are making a big comeback you know um, of all the ones that is you know uh, singling out minorities to unite the majority through hate Bing, there it is. You know, um, the the what's the co-opting of the mechanisms of state by a wealthy elite to repurpose national institutions to further enrich themselves. Bing, there it is. The uh, closing down all the unfriendly voices in the media until there's nobody left who isn't on the payroll. Bing, there it is. And the punchline of it was mandatory singing of patriotic songs praising the great leader. Mm, not yet, but that you know, there it is. Yes, it, soon it's, come. It's soon come. I mean, literally, it's it's. What else do you want? I mean, in the meantime, the, it's it's very telling. I mean, you can often tell. This seems to be the the, the metric that the Republicans work towards in the states is there is a single moment of accountability, and it's the election. And if you can win the election by whatever means you win that election, then you are sorted, and you can do whatever you like until the time comes to win the next one. And of course, if you're going into an election after four or five years of completely controlling the narrative on any level, it's surprisingly easy to win an election, particularly when you have a fragmented opposition, which the left is always doomed to be. And I finally figured out why that is a few days ago, why the, this is the great disadvantage that, you know, because we're seeing right now. If anything, we, we seem to see in Amersham and Cheshire a grassroots attempt by progressive people to form a progressive alliance, whether the party leaders Without like the parties, or not. Yeah. Um, and that is really what we want to happen, because the party leaders, unfortunately, you know, political parties have inherent egos. I mean, there's trouble. Labour's going to have a real difficulty admitting that it can no longer win at first past the post. But Labour can no longer win at first past the post. I mean, somebody did the sums the other day, and it's like, if they had the kind of... If at the next election, Labour has the same kind of swing had in 1997 and the Tories stay in with the 20 seat majority you know um it can't win under first past the post but this is the problem that the that, that progressives always have which is there's a fundamental difference in what they want power for progressives want to gain power in order to do things with that power right conservatives want to gain power to have the power and to stop progressives doing anything. They don't want to do anything with that power. There's a, there's a philosophical difference, as a lot of them don't believe that government should be 
for doing things because essentially they represent rich people and rich people don't care what the government does as long as it does it to somebody else right but um there is a fundamental difference of opinion about what government's for progressives think the government is for doing things for making the world a better place and conservatives think that government is there to leave them alone and keep everybody else in their place right and so there's a fundamental difference between what progressives and conservatives want power for because progressives want it to do stuff, then there's going to be differences of opinion with regards to what that stuff then would be. Do you mm. see what I mean? Whereas with conservatives, there is no difference of opinion. They just want to win. Yes. And that's why they just, they, you know, they don't think any further than that. It's not about we want to win. We want to form the next government so we can dot, dot, dot. It's we want to form the next government so the plebs don't. Well, they like it's to a, roll <laughs> things back as well, don't they? Yeah. And they also, oh, yeah, they, yeah. they also like to enrich their their friends which and i mean which have been week, doing spectacularly yeah they, i mean that is a big that's a big tick isn't it and, oh, and, and the good old gravy train yeah i mean this week you've written in the in the new european about dido harding and i i mean i, I really can't think of anyone who is more suited to be the <laughs> independent head of nhs england than someone who's a tory peer married to a tory mp who's sitting on the board of a think tank that has said the NHS should be replaced by an American-style insurance system. So yeah. well, what have these... you got against Dido Harding, Mitch <laughs> uh, Oh, no, nothing other than just, you know, as I said in the column, you know, when she was there, she was in Talk Talk. That's the phone company, not the 80s band, although the 80s band would have been better. Yeah. Um, it's no, I mean, well, she's just the absolute poster child for failing upwards, isn't it? I mean, it, it is, it's, you know, it's extraordinary. I mean, when was it David Cameron proclaimed the classless society? And yet, here we are. Mm. Um, I mean, it's 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 only to be understood. I mean, the, the, these it's it's difficult to expect anything other than lackadaisicalness and dilettanteism from people for whom consequences are things that happen to everyone else, you know. Um, these these are people who've led entirely consequence-free lives. Yeah, if, if, if Boris Johnson had existed at any other level of society, he would have been shamed out of existence by now just because of the way he's lived his life. Um, if Dido Harding existed at any other level of society, she'd be on minimum wage because she's failed at everything she's ever tried to do. Mm. And, you know, it, it's... But these are these are people who lead charmed existences. You know, they are connected. They are they're one of they're one of us. They're one of the chaps. It's am- and, quite and, amazing, and isn't it? It's Absolutely extraordinary. And, and and it's and that's you know that's what's been you know that's what's holding. You know, I I wrote a song about failing up. You know, it's what's made this country what it is. You know, the fact that there are certain kinds of people who are not allowed to fail. Well, they do fail, but they, and I think one of the reasons Boris is freaking out right now is because he doesn't have an up to fail to anymore. This is it. You know, there is only down now. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure Boris wants out of this job as soon as possible. I, I think, think he's so. just I think he's just trying to find a way of getting out with his ego intact, which is yeah. not going to be easy. I wonder um, whether he'll fight the next election, but I'm not even I, sure he's got the stomach for that, to be honest I with you. I very, very much doubt it. I mean, I'm not in the prediction business, but I would be very surprised if he doesn't find some... Re- but then again, who takes over? A, who have they got? Who isn't either, you know, a 
sort of swivel-eyed automaton or just an out-and-out snake? Uh, and B, who would want to? Who's going to want to inherit whatever's left after Boris has been in charge? You know, it's, 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 I mean, and also you end up with a thing where, you know, Boris is busily backing himself into the autocrats, into the kleptocrats' corner where he can't leave. You know, he's going to be in the same situation that Trump was in, where he can't leave because he's, you know, broken so many rules and, and trans- transgressed so many norms and just basically helped himself to so much while he's in there that it's only the it's only the fact that he's still in power that's keeping him safe you know uh, and and so i that's the one reason i think that you might see boris clinging on to this job for well you know as long as he can rather than as long as he wants is because but if he ever leaves he's going to be in a lot of trouble yeah there'll be <laughs> um, there'll be held to pay yeah Talking yeah. of talking of jobs, I, I mean, I know yeah. it's been difficult for comedians during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I did see a job opportunity that I thought you'd be good at. Oh, hello. Which was um, it was in a tweet from from Lord Frost. Uh, we are recruiting for the director of the government's <laughs> new Brexit Opportunities Unit, a visionary, that's you, inventive, yeah. dedicated leader to help us shape the future policy direction of the UK. Could you, that's, is that one for you, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd be more than happy to shape the future direction of the UK and it'd be straight back <laughs> into the single market. Um <laughs> Um, no, it is well. The, again, it's 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 as I said in the paper. It's enough to make a satirist question his vocation. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to try and do political humour about stuff which is. I mean, there's that famous quote from the great Tom Lehrer. You know, that he said satire became obsolete when they gave Henry Kissinger the Nobel Peace Prize, and and it's it's you know it, we see examples of that in the news every week right now. So what we have is five years after we decided to leave the EU. And 18 months after we've left the EU, we're now looking for somebody to explain why leaving the EU is a good thing. Now, yeah. I mean, this is it's it's but again, the weird thing is it's become the great unsayable. It's you know, particularly political circles, nobody is saying this was a stupid thing we did. Even you know, the, the, the remain campaign has more or less disappeared because I guess there's nothing to remain, it would be rejoined if it was anything now. Uh, or at the very least, get back into the single market and the customs union, which would take care of most of the problems that we've got. It would sort the Nana thing out at the stroke of a pen. But you can't do that because that means reinstating freedom of movement and that makes racists cross. And this was all about making racists happy. We must never forget that. By no means, everybody who voted Brexit was racist. By no means, everybody who still, for whatever unfathomable reason, is pro-Brexit is racist. But this happened because we needed to placate racists. That's why all of this is happening. In 2015, Carswell and Reckless defected from the Tories to UKIP and David Cameron passed a brick, right? And, and, and that's all that, that's the only reason this is happening. David Cameron panicked in 2015 because there is a, shall we say, a xenosceptical base upon which the Tory party has come to depend, right? There is a base, of the, there is a rump of the Conservative Party which is distrustful of things foreign, right? And they will occasionally drift away and vote for fringe parties at minor elections like your local elections, the Euros, as were, maybe even the odd by-election, that lot would drift off and vote for, well, whatever was around at the time, whether it was the NF or the BNP or the National Front or UKIP or whatever the hell Farage is rebranding himself as. 
but they always would come home and vote Tory in the conservative in the general election because yes. at the end of the day that's what conservative means. And for the first time, I think Cameron was genuinely worried that UKIP were going to peel off enough votes at the Tories at a general election to maybe let Labour in because the Tories didn't even have a whole majority themselves at the time. They were still in coalition, right? And I think, and that's why he in 2015 says, well, the, he says to himself, well, I know what I'll do. I'll cut UKIP off of the legs by giving the people the one thing UKIP have got to offer, which is the in-out referendum. And that is as far ahead as he thought. Incredible, that is as far it? ahead as he thought. He thought that, that, will, that, will, um, that will cut off UKIP at the general election and hurrah, I'll win the election. And that was as far down the road as his thought process went. If I'm being very charitable, I might think that he was thinking, well, what will probably happen is I'll still be in coalition. And so I can say, well, I wanted to give you a referendum, but the Liberals wouldn't let me. Oh, well, never mind. But then he won an absolute majority and actually had to go oh, through dear. with it. And everything which has happened has happened because the Tories panicked in 2015 because they thought they were going to lose the racists. That's it's why this is... And we must never forget that. We must never, you know... I don't think you can say this in your job interview for the director of the government's <laughs> new Brexit Opportunities Unit. I think I would, just for the hell of it, just to see the look on their faces. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it wouldn't be the... It, it would be by no means my worst job interview ever. <laughs> if you didn't I've get that worse. gig, I, yeah. mean, I, I can see you as a, a sort of, you know, a, a resident humorist on GB News. Um, I mean, they got one. Well, Haven't they already got one? Haven't they got one of the several, uh, one of the three or four dozen comedians who are currently the only conservative comedian in Britain? <laughs> There's quite a few of those. Oh, yeah. Several of my comedian. best friends are the only conservative comedian in Britain. Well, I mean, there's yeah. one of them. They spend an awful lot of time good, on think, TV but... telling me, they, they spend a lot of time on the TV saying how they can't get on TV because they're the only conservative comedian <laughs> in Britain. That's how you know they're the only conservative comedian in Britain. They're the ones who are on the TV and radio all the time telling you they've been cancelled. Yes, it, well, exactly. It's like, those, it's like those yeah. uh, Julie Birchall and other columnists who who moan about yeah. being cancelled in double-page spreads in the day. Yeah, 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 that's right. So I have been silenced pages 4 to 12, yes. <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> have you watched any of GB News? Again, I can't face it. And also, I don't really just want to add to their numbers, you know, because it functions as clickbait. Yes, exactly. Um, this is, you know, I'm, I'd, I'm, I'm interested I'd, in this, whether it's we're amplifying them by... by Possibly. I mean, I'm told that technically it was all over the shop, but then new stations often are. It'd be very interesting to see if anybody's got any old VHSs of the first week of Fox News back in 96 and see if they're all facing the wrong way, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's that, that you know, there was some giggles to be had at their, their technical inadequacy. And apparently, you know, the first thing on was Andrew Neil saying, we will not be peddling, peddling conspiracy theories. And then it was an hour of Dan Wooten telling you how the lockdown's a hoax. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, but I mean, ah, uh, no, no, I don't, I, I wouldn't. And I don't, I mean, this is a conversation that I've had with various of my showbiz pals, you know, is um, because there's one of the, you know, one of the, uh, the poster boys for the whole anti-mask campaign is an old friend of mine. He's somebody I've known for 30 years. I was at university with him. And I seriously doubt he believes the stuff he's coming out with now, mm. just from knowing him from, from of old. I seriously doubt, but I think he's made the calculation, which I alluded to when I wrote that GB News uh, spoof column a couple of weeks ago, which is, 
I think there's a lot of people, I think, you know, maybe the Lawrence Foxes of the world are among them, who've realized that the right-on showbiz market is saturated. The right-on comedy market is saturated. But there's a demand for smug boomer downpunching comedy. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a gap in the market there. And I think that's what these people are doing. They're spotting a gap in the market. It's got nothing to do with free speech. It's got nothing to do with redressing the balance. Because let's face it, these people, it's not, they, 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 it's not that they're not being heard. They know they're being heard. They're bloody deafening. They're unavoidable. They don't, their problem is not that they're not being heard. Their problem is that anybody else is. That's what offends them. It's not that their voices are not being heard. It's that anybody else's voices are sometimes heard. That's what upsets them. Yes, it does. Um, and, if you're, you know, it's gone. Sorry. Go on. I was going to say, if you're, if you're not watching GB News, yeah. have, you, have you been watching the Euros? And are you, are you able to, to offer incredible analysis of the football like Matt Hancock did on Twitter the other day. I'm going to read it out to you. This is is quite groundbreaking stuff. Congratulations to England for topping the group and reaching the last 16. The next game should be an exciting one to watch. Commiserations to Scotland who battled hard and did themselves proud. We hope to see you in the next tournament. It's not exactly Alan Hansen, is it? No, I know, but you know, fair play. I mean, he's like, he's, 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 well, I was going to say he's got to say something, but no, he doesn't really but you know if he's gonna say something then that's possibly like the, the least harmful thing is i mean let's face it at least one thing that man doesn't they shouldn't involve anybody you know getting unnecessarily ill um but it's it's you know it, it yeah uh I've, no i've not i was round at somebody's house the other day and the oh which game was it was on uh the one we started with the own goal germany versus oh yes it was a, yeah anyway i saw that one because i was round at somebody's house and it was on uh i haven't really been watching I didn't see. I haven't seen either the England games. Um, it has. They I, have a sort of stultifying effect, like watching a, a, a Dan Wooten uh, monologue, um, or indeed yeah. my own comedy monologue to open this, uh, <laughs> this podcast. Um, no, don't do yourself down, Stephen. But no, I mean, no, I've not really been paying attention. I'm, I'm kind of what you call football agnostic, um, which is that on the one hand, I'm not really interested in football. On the other hand, I grew up in Liverpool in the 70s and 80s. Uh, so okay. it's like, you know, I guess like growing up in rural Ireland in the 19th century and not being that interested in Catholicism. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you know, everything's relative, you know. Um, but, you know, it's, um, yeah, so I've, I've not really been watching. Uh, it's, it, thus far, it's gone pretty much how I, I, I understand it's gone pretty much how it always goes. I wrote uh, a song, actually, I'll probably, because I'm actually doing my first live gig yes, for a long just time this Friday ask. in Bishop Storford, and that's going to be a very, very, very Home of comedy. Uh, well, pff, who, who knows? It's going to be the home of comedy on Friday anyway. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a very weird experience, I think. Um, but I will probably try out a song. I actually wrote for the 2010 World Cup, which is my World Cup song. It's called Win One, Lose One, which is about, it's it's a realistic world song about how England always end up doing. Um, because that's the one thing which drives me nuts about football songs is they're a bit delusional. Mm. You know, it's like, you've not really been paying attention, have you? This isn't what England do, you know? Um, and so it's, it's just, yeah, so I'll probably do that on Friday night. But I don't know, it's, it's I can't, um, it's, it's, I mean, I'm intrigued that they're sort of treating the whole of Europe as, as like the home nation this time, a bit like the Six Nations in the rugby, because it used to be that an actual one of the nations would host it, you know, hence the whole it's coming home thing in 96 mm. when it was in England. You know, so, um, 
But that's that's intriguing. I suppose you might as well, you know, easy jet be laughing her ass off, weren't they? Um, it's good that, I mean, it's great that you're gigging again because obviously last time we, we spoke to you, you were talking about the devastating effect that this pandemic has had on live. Oh, it has. It's, absolutely, it's, it's more or less wiped it out for, you know, over a year. And it's only now sort of slowly, tentatively coming back. We might, I mean, there'll be a fair bit of stuff over the summer because in the summer you can do outdoor things. Yeah. And I, I think most of the, certainly all the stuff I've got lined up in the immediate term is going to be outdoors. Um, what kind of state we're in at the end of the summer is going to depend whether or not this then all goes away again as we go into the winter, I suppose. But um, we, Well, we I make... mean, Freedom Day is coming and who can doubt oh, the word God, of the Prime Minister... Boris Johnson. Everybody should doubt the word of the Prime Minister about everything because the Prime Minister's a massive liar. All right, there you go. You're not allowed to say that on the floor of the House. You are allowed to say it on the New European podcast, and it should be said everywhere where people are allowed to speak freely still just in this country. The Prime Minister is a massive liar. And you shouldn't believe anything he ever says. And on that shocking revelation, (laughs) I think we will say goodbye to Mitch Ben. Yes, but I can hear them knocking at the door already, asking (laughs) asking me where my flag and my portrait of the Queen is. And your portrait of the Queen is. Yes. Okay, thank you so much to Mitch Ben. You can Just see him in Bishop Stortford. You can say any other gigs coming up? Yeah, I'm in Froome on, I think, July 5th. I forget where exactly. And then I'm doing the Cambridge Comedy Festival on, I think, uh, it's either the 9th or 10th. Can't remember off the top of my head. Should really memorise that before I came on, shouldn't I? Well, but you, yes. can, you can Google these things, can't you? Yeah, you can, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, it's great talking to you. We'll speak soon, Mitch Ben. Cheers, buddy. Thanks again to Mitch Ben. You can read his brilliant column every week in The New European. And if you'd like to enjoy more from The New European, do join us. Subscribe for just £8 a month at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. Now, let's have some more of your poems about five years of Brexit. Andy Popperwell's poem. On the side of a bus painted red were some thoughts for the easily led. It's really absurd to believe every word unless you're quite weak in the head. Richard Howard has written a poem. The Brexiteer stood on the burning deck whence all but he had fled. Surveyed destruction all around, and this is what he said. Well, it's not as bad as you Ramonas said it would be. But Jerry Vickers says, he's not written a poem, but he says, there is a poem that sums all this up, and it's Kipling's poem, A Dead Statesman. And a lot of you will be familiar with that, but let's Let's read out the uh, let's read out the the poem. Uh, I could not dig, I dared not rob, therefore I lied to please the mob. Now all my lies are proved untrue, and I must face the men I slew. What tale shall serve me here among mine angry and defrauded young? I think that is uh, uh, something that we can all uh, get on board with on this week of the anniversary. Hi, this is James Ball. I write every week in a new European on what's happening behind the scenes in Westminster and across the world. If you'd like to enjoy more from the new European, do join us by subscribing for just £8 per month at theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash subscribe. And now we're joined by the author and broadcaster Gavin Essler, whose fantastic piece in this week's new European is about what he calls the age of unreason. Gavin, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be with you, Steve. Thank you. Uh, it's great to have you. Um, 
can I, before we turn to your piece, can I ask you, um, how did you mark the, the fifth anniversary of, of the referendum? Was it flags outside the Esla mansions? And a question I've been asking a lot of guests recently, how is this thing, Brexit, working out for you? Is it slightly better than you expected, maybe? Is it a lot worse? Is it about the same? Well, I, I was planning to go outside and sing One Britain, One Nation, according yes. to Gavin Williamson's thing, but I, I just couldn't couldn't quite bear the echoes of Weinreich ein Führer and uh, Volk ein Führer. Um, so I didn't sing that. Um, I, I didn't... Um, I, I, we we celebrated very quietly. That's all, all I would say about, the, um, about Brexit. The thing about it is, it has unfolded almost exactly as any of us from 2016 onwards who thought it was a daft idea would have said. In other words, uh, we will continue to be told untruths, falsehoods. We will be continued to be told that it's all going very well, uh, like young Mr. Grace and Grace Brothers of that hit years ago who used to say <laughs> that. You've all done very well. And um, it would be a, a series of actually kind of miserable kind of damp squibs, you know, like <laughs> the one the one I've liked over the past five years was Liz Truss telling us that in signing a trade deal with Japan, which we already had through the European Union, we'd be able to buy our soya sauce, which most of us call soy sauce. Yes. And which in my case, although it's a Japanese company, is manufactured in the Netherlands. So it was a. It wasn't really much of a celebration, and I'm afraid very little has been a surprise. Except that I kind of thought that some of the sensible factions within the Conservative Party might have been more assertive, but they haven't. So no, we are where we are. They have been purged. I think uh, um, most of them haven't they? And some of them are. Some of them are in the cabinet with good jobs and, and clearly unwilling to to rock the boat. Liz Truss among them. Um, this exceptional piece that you've written uh, for the New European begins with an e email that you received from a, a, a fan in Texas. Tell us about the, the email and, and what that, that led to. Yes, well, I, well, I wrote a piece because uh, in uh, about four or five weeks ago, uh, the state legislature in Texas decided that uh, it would become legal for people to carry hidden firearms without having to get a license. So if you're over 21, you can carry, say, say, a Glock pistol, which can fire, depends how you configure it, but up to, you know, 17 bullets, um, and, and, and uh, without getting licensed. And I, I wrote a piece about this saying, uh, America's love affair with guns is sort of beyond reason. Anyway, uh, a gentleman, I'll call him John from Texas, wrote to me saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I need to have a gun because if I didn't have a gun, all these bad people would have guns and um, it's, it's my, my right to have it. And I had pointed out precisely that this is a vicious circle, that if the reason I don't have to have a gun is I walk the streets of Edinburgh or London or uh, anywhere in the United Kingdom, uh, I wouldn't want to have a gun because other people who would have a gun would have, be able to shoot me. It's kind of obvious, really. Um, and it, it defies logic, but it is a deeply held American principle that's, that are a rule, I suppose, or a constitutional uh, amendment that dates from the time of the flintlock musket uh, somehow is applicable in the 21st century to, to automatic or semi-automatic weapons. John didn't get the point. And what it made me think about wasn't just why people believe in such things in America, but to translate it to our own politics now and why people really um, believe things which don't quite make sense and are not necessarily 
good for them. And I mean, you talk about these these kind of delusions that are resistant to logic and and coherent argument. I think is the phrase that you use: logic, facts, and coherent argument. One, of, I mean, and a lot of them are tied to, to Brexit. One of them that isn't specifically tied to Brexit, which is you know a, a conservative uh, a conservative policy, which is I think has probably brought them quite a lot of success and, and might even bring them more success in in Batley and Spen, is the idea of leveling up. Why is why is leveling up a delusion? Well, uh, I think the idea is a great slogan. You know, because what what it's saying is, unlike the bad old Labour Party who believe in obviously bringing everybody down is the implication of it. We are going to level everybody up. So we're all going to be, you know, as rich as the Tory donors who've made money out of PPE. Um, But what has actually happened is exactly the opposite. I mean, they have been in power, the Conservative Party, since 2010. Have they just discovered that there are social inequalities in our country? Have they just done anything about it? Have they, the the other part of it is um, talking about white privilege, uh, allegedly, in schools and white working class kids. And there is a real problem uh, of of underachievement uh, in various, various kids. But who has been in charge of our schools for a decade? Michael Gove was one of them. So it's a great slogan, but the reality is very, very different. And there's a whole series of those. The Global Britain one is the other one that yes. really I find extraordinary. I mean, we, we've been Global Britain for 400 years, but the new Global Britain is one in which we're cutting back the British Army to the lowest level since, seven, since 1714 and the War of Spanish Succession. And I was reading in Forbes, um, Forbes magazine, it was just saying, if you wanted to declare a naval war against Britain, 2026 would be a good time to do it because the Royal Navy will be at an extremely low ebb. So it's simply why people listen to the phrases is because we're all a bit stressed for time and it sounds good levelling up. Who could be against that? Global Britain sounds great, but actually the reality is nonsense. Yes, I mean, it's it's a global Britain that doesn't include our sort of nearest neighbours, doesn't it? <laughs> um, which is quite extraordinary. One one nation conservatism. I mean, is this is this a, a one nation conservative party, do you think? Boris Johnson said again it was the other day. He seems quite, quite proud of the idea it is. And then, of course, the government are spending quite a lot of money at the moment. And, and people have, you know, I think I've seen columnists in the Daily Telegraph fulminating about the fact that this is a socialist government. It's they're doing some things that Jeremy Corbyn might have done. Well, there's a there's there's a couple of different parts to this. I mean, I've just published a book called How Britain Ends, which is not a prediction and it's not a recommendation either, but it's just the idea that this is a one nation conservative party, when I put that to some people in Edinburgh, uh, when I was writing the book, they said, well, the one nation isn't the United Kingdom, it's England. Mm. And since 2015, uh, the four different parts of the United Kingdom have voted for four different big parties. So England has voted for Conservatives, broadly. Scotland has voted overwhelmingly for the SNP. The biggest party in Northern Ireland is the Democratic Unionist Party, and the biggest party in Wales is Labour. So four different parties for four different parts of the UK. And does is Boris Johnson a sort of credible voice for the union of the United Kingdom? Well, not in Scotland, Northern Ireland or Wales, and not as somebody who has sort of thrown 100 years of Ulster unionism into the Irish Sea. Mm. 
So I think I think I think we've got unfortunately we've got great problems of division, and we've got um, uh, you know the prime minister who pretends to be in favour of the union because he doesn't really think about it, and that's not how it's seen even among unionists in Scotland who have said to me I was talking to some Scottish conservatives two days ago. And they are in despair with, with with Boris Johnson. They just think he just doesn't speak for a united United Kingdom. Uh, and these, I mean, these matters are coming to a head, aren't they? I think the twenty June the twenty third that a lot of the the newspaper headlines, which I think might have been, um, well, it was in the Telegraph, wasn't it? Uh, so I think the Telegraphs, I I opened the Telegraph expecting there to be a wave of um, uh, you know listing the great achievements of, of Brexit uh, so far and the great achievements to come. And instead, we had Michael Gove saying there won't be a uh, any sort of referendum in Scotland uh, before the next general election, which I think is uh, when is the next general election? Two or two or three years still away, aren't we? So, um, well, how how is that going to play in, uh, in in Edinburgh and Glasgow? Do you think? Well, um, I, I mean, I noticed George Osborne and uh, the former Chancellor in the Evening Standard, which he was editor in chief of. He wrote a piece in January saying Boris Johnson could become the and this is a Tory saying it Boris Johnson could become the worst prime minister ever worse than Lord North who lost the American colonies in the 1770s and he said Mr Osborne said that the only way to stop Scotland becoming independent is to not let them vote on it so I mean he may be right um, but that's hardly a sort of positive message for the for the union um, it may be, actually, that um, Scotland does not get to vote on it for a couple of years. But the longer this goes on without a positive case being made for the union, I think things are, are going to be difficult. And actually, if you look at England, too, in 2015, those 2015 election results, which we've all kind of forgotten about, but 3.8 million people voted for UKIP that year's year. They got one seat, Douglas Carswell, and then he quit the party. So 3.8 million people, mostly in England, didn't see their views reflected. And what Boris Johnson has done quite brilliantly, I think, is kind of co-opt that UKIP vote and, and turn the Conservative Party into that, that, that the kind of people that would, would have in the past voted for UKIP. But many of those, according to you know Lord Ashcroft's polls and others, put Brexit, achieving Brexit, ahead of the Union of the United Kingdom. And if that's the view in England, which is by far the most important part of the Union, 84% of people live there, then the Union, I think, is in deep, deep trouble the union meaning the united kingdom and maybe maybe people don't care but uh, i don't think the impetus in scotland's going to go away northern ireland's got its own own difficulties but boris johnson has managed the extraordinary uh, trick of <laughs> of annoying both unionists and nationalists and in terms of global britain he seems to have annoyed the entire EU, the Russians, the Chinese, and Joe Biden. So, uh, oh, and also those developing world countries that are seeing their aid from Britain cut. So I'm not sure quite where the the, the global Britain united United Kingdom is quite going at the moment. Well, I mean, he's I think he's united the the farmers in of Australia in in joy at what we've at what we've offered them, which uh, or what we've given them rather, which seems to be their opening position, and then we've just said that's uh, that sounds fine and signed it on the bottom so uh, maybe he can maybe he can retire there I mean he, he has pulled off a lot of extraordinary tricks as you say because you know I think and you mentioned this you mentioned the, 
the talk of making Britain great again, the idea that there's going to be a roaring 20s, a boom is on the way. I read a lot of this in, in, in the newspapers. Is it, is it newspapers that are particularly supplicant to this um, government, do you think? Or, or, or are other news media failing to hold them to account as well? I think, I think it's... Well, there's two bits to that. One is there are some newspapers who... <laughs> frankly appear rather like I tend not to say this publicly but you know just between the two of us there's a few newspapers that appear a bit like a urinal in which uh, Boris Johnson occasionally relieves himself I mean they just publish any old pee um, it's more difficult for those broadcasters who have a commitment to public service and therefore are supposed to hear all sides of things when they're faced with people who uh, as we've seen in the United States with Trump, uh, simply are involved in a disinformation business. Do they say repeatedly, well, that's probably not true, that's possibly a lie and so on, as the, the Washington Post did with Trump. That becomes very difficult in our, in our system. And in fact, you know, even the fact that you can't say or are not supposed to say in, in Parliament that somebody is a liar uh, shows the way in which the British system has operated for a long time. And it becomes quite difficult if people are twisting the facts and simply not doing what they say they're doing. And it's, I mean, they're doing this very successfully as well, aren't they? I'm, I'm just looking at, um, I'm just looking at Savanta, I'm looking at YouGov, the, the government of 14 point leads over Labour in two polls that were conducted this week, despite everything that is going on. Why do you think that the, the country is so willing to believe that they are doing a great job? Well, I think uh, it depends what you mean by the country here. Again, if yes. you, you go around Scotland, Wales and, uh, and Wales in particular, I'm really slightly shocked, actually, to see the extent to which uh, there is much more feeling towards independence uh, for Wales. I don't quite know how that would work. And also see Mark Drakeford, Labour uh, mm. First Minister of Wales, is saying that the union as it is currently constructed is over. So there's so there's different bits, but but you're right. Uh, particularly in England, uh, the Conservatives have been doing very well in the opinion polls. Although, as we have also seen in, in the Cheshire and Amersham uh, by-election, people are prepared to vote tactically in order to deny the Conservatives a seat that they've always held. So it's a, it's a mixed picture, and it's a mixed picture between different areas of northern, northern England and, and the rest, too. I suspect part of it is we're all very relieved that the vaccine programme has been going well, and it's, you know, it's as good as, as anywhere, I think, in, in the world, pretty much. When coronavirus, as we all hope, finally recedes and we see the kind of wreckage of Brexit even more starkly, I think that will cause problems. And I think all these spending announcements have to be paid for at some point. Perhaps Boris Johnson is hoping to keep it going, you know, let's have another royal yacht, all that kind of stuff. Even though the royal yacht itself is, is in government terms, kind of loose change, it's, it's a symptom of a government that it's not exactly doing, as you suggested, someone said, suggested uh, this kind of socialism of Jeremy Corbyn. I don't think that's quite quite what he's doing. But what he's what he's doing is 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 buying popularity by promising all these things. But you know, he promised a garden bridge in London. He spent fifty three million pounds of other people's money, ours, and it never happened. There was supposed to be the airport and the sea. There's a tunnel or is it a bridge from Northern Ireland to Scotland? You know, most of it is nonsense, as we as we know. Um, but some of it is quite expensive nonsense, which we're going to have to pay for at some point. Yes, we we certainly are. And I mean, you're you're absolutely right. He um he, he does. He 
he does make these promises. There was an extraordinary, uh, the company that used to own the New European uh, was a was a, um, a was a publishing company that was that was based in 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 Norwich, and um, he came for the twenty nineteen general election. There's a long standing thing, as people who live in East Anglia will know. The A forty seven is is uh, not even a dual carriageway on some parts of it, despite being extremely busy. And he was asked, are you going to duel the, the, the A47? Never a manifesto commitment, not been talked about by the local Conservatives. And he said, yes, we're going to do it within the next five years. And it's, just, it's just absolutely amazing. My parents used to live in Swatham, so I know exactly what you're talking the pain, about. The pain of which I speak, yes. Right, exactly. Um, Finally, Gavin, obviously for, for many people, you, you're going to be, you'll always be closely associated with Newsnight, which, which does do a, a good job of holding the government to account while being fair, I think, and therefore with the BBC. What do you think are the next stages of the government's war of attrition with the BBC and how will that play out? Yeah, well, I think, I think the war of attrition is a good, good phrase because what the government is doing, and they're very, very well aware of it, is they constantly, constantly uh, have these various attacks on different fronts about the money, about so-called standards, about what happened about, uh, you know, this interview uh, with Diana 20 something years ago and all those things. And it keeps public sector broadcasters off balance. It keeps mm. the BBC off balance. And that, that, is, a, that is a problem. Uh, the other part of that problem is that we've got a culture secretary whose interest in culture seems to be uh, only questions about whether you can sell off Channel 4. I mean, he doesn't actually seem to know anything at all about the real life of actors, musicians, uh, the, the creative industries in Britain, of which the BBC is also a, a very important contributor, which, uh, you know, I've done some events with, with musicians who are appalled. Yes. At, at the mess they're in. And uh, this is 115 billion a year industry. So the BBC is only part of that. The culture, so-called culture wars uh, are, are also part of that. The sort of uh, keeping universities on their toes, suggesting that, you know, Oliver Dowden, the culture secretary seems to be more interested in ugly statues of dead people with dubious past than real artists today. And so all the creative industries of which the BBC is is a kind of kind of rock as well um are are under great great pressure and i think i think that will continue i think it will continue with the 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 sale of of channel four and i don't quite know how it's going to work out i i feel great sympathy for my colleagues in the bbc who do not get up every morning worrying thinking about what can we say in a bad way about the government at all they wake up every morning trying to cover the big stories in the in the country under real real pressure and also forced with this horrible dilemma of when you hear a uh, prime minister whose acquaintance with the truth is um, somewhat uh, difficult to sustain, what do you do about that? Do you really constantly say, ah, he's lying? Do you do that? And I, it's very difficult for any broadcaster to do that. Well, that's, uh, that's a, a, an important note to end on, I think. Uh, thank you so much to Gavin Esler. Your book is called? How Britain Ends. And as I say, it's not a prediction, but it's about the kind of mess that we're in and the complacency that's brought us to this 
terrible state, it seems to me. Thank you so much for joining us. That was Gavin Esler. Uh, so check out the book. You can read his brilliant piece about the politics of delusion in this week's edition of The New European. If you'd like to enjoy more from The New European, do join us by subscribing for just £8 a month at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. Finally, on this week's podcast, who are we going to put in the Hall of Shame? Let's put in Boris Johnson. He's a frequent visitor to the Hall of Shame. He celebrated the fifth anniversary of Brexit by listing several benefits of Brexit, several Brexit dividends. And he started with the freedom to establish free ports, he said. Uh, we've got now got freedom to establish free ports. And uh, firstly, there are already 80 free zones uh, in the EU across 21 member countries. Secondly, the UK had seven free ports uh, of its own between 1984 and 2012 when the Conservative government shut them down because they weren't doing very much. Third, yes, the new free ports that he's proposing work in a slightly different way, but no one's really seriously pretending they're going to go all the way to replacing lost trade with our nearest partners. And fourth, in 23 of the new trade deals we've signed, the ones rolling over deals that we already had uh, through the EU, we failed to take away these duty exemption prohibitions, which we talked about on here before. These say that businesses that don't pay import duties, so businesses are working in the free port, they can't benefit from reduced tariffs on what they export. And that renders these new free ports completely useless. Andrea Ledsom is in the Hall of Shame. She was on any question. She said, one of the fantastic things about Liz Truss's trade deal is a chance for young people to go to Australia for three years to work there. Now, I have said this before. In fact, I think I said this on the last podcast, but wait until the Brexiteers learn about this a trade deal that allowed young people to go to 27 different countries and work there, not for three years, but for as long as they liked. It was a great trade deal. Whatever happened to that? Now it's time on the Hall of Shame. When we say Alak, Igad and Harumph, it's Anne Widdicombe Corner. It's the magical time of the week there. Once again, I read out the most ridiculous bits from Anne Widdicombe's ridiculous column in the ridiculous Daily Express. Slim pickings this week, I've got to say. Uh, not, lots lots of uh, sort of mulch to, to, to wade through in Anne Widdicombe's column. A couple of things stood out for me. She writes, the Tories lost the Chesham and Amersham by-election, but the bigger loser was Labour. No, it wasn't. I cannot threaten to boycott IKEA because I would never go there anyway. Thanks for letting us know. Alan. What a complete waste of ink, trees and everybody's time. But something even weirder in the Daily Express this week than Anne Widdicombe's column was a poll of Daily Express readers. Would they vote the same in the referendum if it was held today? And surprisingly enough, they would. In fact, the only person they found who uh, might have changed their mind was somebody who voted Remain, who was now thinking that they might have voted Leave. Uh, a couple of people who were diehard Leavers, who are still diehard Leavers, I will read out. Tony Ship, 60, 60 years old, runs a sweet stall in Plymouth. He said, I did vote Leave, and in truth, I would still vote Leave. Sometimes in Life, you have got to get on with it. And if you don't like it, what can you do? Well, there's a sound reason for not turning back from this uh, ridiculous path. James Pito, 44, who is unemployed and from Bristol, voted leave, uh, writes the Daily Express. He would still vote the same. He said, you just can't control immigrants. It was an easy decision the whole time. You just can't control immigrants. There you go. That's the voice of the Daily Express reader. Um, but finally, in the Hall of Shame, he's been in it before, um, but I thought we'd check 
check in with him. It's Daniel Hanan. He was called the brain of Brexit, if you remember. And here's what a key member uh, of Vote Leave, Daniel Hanan, um, said about Brexit in 2016. He said, I think that in five years time from now, which is now 2021, Britain will be flourishing as never before and people will look back and wonder why we didn't do this long before. Um, and he's doubled down on this this week. He said it in the Telegraph on June the 23rd, in a generation's time, we will look back and we will have no doubt that we made the right decision. So he's moved it on slightly. A generation is 30 years, isn't it? And he said we'd be seeing the benefits from Brexit in five years. We've not seen any benefits from Brexit. And now he's saying, don't worry, we'll see him in 25 years. But in the sun, he took an even more upbeat tone. His piece was headlined, Project Fear. It's more like Project Cheer. Clever that, isn't it? And he said, Britain is flourishing. Britain is flourishing, flourishing. That's what he said five years ago. I think that in five years from now, Britain will be flourishing as never before. But Britain isn't really flourishing, is it? It's news to me if it is. And I suspect it's news to several others uh, as well. Tell the fishermen that Brexit Britain is flourishing. Tell the farmers that Brexit Britain is flourishing. Tell it to the food industry. Tell it to the hospitality industry. Tell it to small business. Tell it to the financial services industry. Tell it to the UK citizens in the EU. Tell it to the EU citizens in the UK. Tell the people in Northern Ireland that Brexit Britain is flourishing. Brexit Britain is flourishing. That's the kind of delusion Gavin Esler was just talking about. Um, it's nonsense, isn't it? Because when we look back this week uh, on the last five years, uh, when we look back on them, we can see clearly that as David Bowie, who I mentioned right at the top of the show, said, he said, rightly said all this those years ago, the shame was on the other side. And though five years ago, nothing could keep us together, we can still beat them forever and ever. We can be Europeans again one day. Well, that was the New European Podcast with me, Steve Anglesey. Thank you to Mitch Ben. Thank you to Gavin Esler. Thank you very much to you for listening. Please remember to rate and review this podcast on whatever uh, podcast you use uh, to, to listen to it. Positive reviews mean a lot to us. Um, they're great for me to read and uh, they also help uh, us uh, boost up the rankings. So please leave us a review. If you'd like to enjoy more from the New European, do join us, subscribe from just £8 a month at the neweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. You can join our Facebook readers group. You can follow the New European on Twitter at the New European. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sanglesey, S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y. Tatar snowflakes until next week.